Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter number 12 this morning, Mark chapter number 12, and it is good to be with you. And I have uh, dreaded this moment just because I knew the nervousness was going to be here as I stand before you all. But I am so thankful to the staff, the administration, to Pastor Chapel for the opportunity. And I'm looking forward to getting to know each and every one of you as much as is possible. Uh, for some of you, I only, my wife and I only get this semester and that's it. And uh, for others of you, uh, we're already on a first name basis because you visit the Dean's office so much, but uh, there's others of you that are still under the radar that we're looking forward to get to know, but we do appreciate the opportunity to be back at Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord's laid on my heart, and so uh, for the junior, senior men that are in my Sunday school class, you know how we do it, we just get right to it, and so that's what we're going to do this morning, and so Mark chapter number 12, you have your Bibles there, and we're going to look down at verse number 28, so Mark chapter number 12, starting in verse number and 28. We'll read just a few verses here, have a quick word of prayer, and then I'll have you be seated. Mark chapter 12, verse number 28, the Bible says, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, that he was Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandments greater than these. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time and get right into the preaching of His Word. Father, what a blessing it is to be here to this morning and to be able to share these few moments together with these dear college students and Lord, my heart is just encouraged as I look out at this uh, great mass of uh, potential, Lord, that stands before me. And Lord, I am so thankful for the privilege of maybe just having a small port, a part in impacting a life, Lord, that could, uh, Lord, change the course of history. And I just pray that you would just uh, calm my nerves this morning. Uh, Lord, give me the thoughts that need to be said. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to say only those things that would be of help or would be of use this morning. I pray that you'd be with the listener as well, that you'd give them listening ears and open hearts. And that, as James said, we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers of that which we've heard this morning. I do pray your blessings now upon our time together in your word. For it's in thy son's precious name I ask these things, for he is worthy. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> The headline simply read, Who is the goat? Who is the goat? When I first heard that statement, I wondered why a sports reporter would be writing about a goat. I, I mean, I realize that in some seasons there's not much to speak of. I realize that sometimes there's little news to be reported from the sports realm. But I thought to myself, Who is the goat? And I thought, well, you know, it's not actually that bad. I've heard of different uh, sporting events and different uh, uh, events so-called. And I thought, well, maybe GOAT, something having to do with an event. And I, I kind of thought, well, that's not too bad because I've heard of, come on, you've heard of these things like seed spitting contests and cow chip Olympics. Maybe you've heard of the, uh, the, uh, the lumberjack jamborees, uh, the lawnmower races. The Cornhole Championship League on ESPN. Has anybody ever watched that before? The beanbag toss, right? Uh, I've heard of other things like uh, one of my favorites, wife-carrying events. Some of you college students should sign up for this one, the extreme ironing event. 
cheese rolling, outhouse racing, pillow fighting, don't forget the giant pumpkin kayaking event, and then my ultimate favorite, the mud pit belly flop event. So I wasn't that surprised when I saw the headline of who is the goat, but I kind of, if I can be transparent, envisioned perhaps a, an obstacle course being run by none other than goats. Yeah, you got your smart crowd this morning. But that's not what the, uh, the sports reporter was talking about. And for those of you that know where I'm going with this, I was myself pleasantly surprised several years ago to learn that goat was actually just the shortened way of saying the greatest of all time. Who is the greatest of all time? And, and it was really just kind of a debate between who was the greatest player in that particular sport at that particular time. And we, for many of us, we just watched on Sunday night what I believe was, you have to give the man credit, some do, for what he has done winning seven championships in his particular sport, that he could possibly be designated as a GOAT or the GOAT in that particular realm. Uh, for those of you that are old like me, then I have a goat in professional basketball, and his initials do have a J in it, but it starts with an M and not an L. I'll let you let that one lay where it is. So who is the goat? Well, in our passage before us, I would like to point to a definitive answer that Jesus Christ gave in answer to who is or what is the goat or the greatest debate of all time. You look in your Bibles, and I want you to see quickly in verse number 28, I see a common question that was raised, a common question. Our text before us speaks of a setting in which Jesus is teaching, and he is then approached by a Jewish law-teaching scribe who had a commonly debated question of the day. It'd be like us sitting out at the GA or around some of the tables and maybe asking some questions back and forth, and, and hearing the answers, this scribe hearing the answers of Jesus came, and he said, hey, I've, teacher, I've got a question for you. And you have to remember the background of the scribes, that they were those that were the keepers of the law. They had uh, obligated themselves to making sure that the Jewish people as a whole were obeying the 613 precepts in the law, 365 of those being thou shalt not, and uh, only 248 being those of positive precepts. And so this scribe, knowing the 613 precepts very well, he approaches Jesus, the master, the teacher, and he kind of asks or poses this question to him. And he says, sir, he says, I've got a question. It's a commonly debated question for most of us in our society, and it's something that we talk about in, when we're just sitting around, just kind of uh, giving some use to our time or our day, and we enjoy getting to debate one another, and I want to know what your answer is to what is the greatest commandment of all. It would kind of be likened to this, perhaps. Let's say you and I are all sitting around together, and we're going through the handbook. That's something we do in the dean's office once in a while. And we're going through the handbook, and we're like, man, I wonder, out of this handbook, which is the greatest commandment in this handbook? Well, you know what? It would probably depend on who you're asking. If you ask maybe like a Dr. Lester in the academic office, he might give you the greatest commandment in the handbook is not to plagiarize. Maybe that's what his answer would be. If you were to go to the finance office, they might say something to the lines of, thou shalt not be late on your payment, right? That might be what their greatest commandment is. Well, if you go out to the food service in the SLC, theirs is, thou shalt not cut. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Thou shalt not cut. Well, what if you went to the dean's office? What might the greatest commandment? I don't even know if I want to go there, right? What might the greatest commandment? Make sure you have your pass. Make sure you take out your trash. Maybe that would be something that we could, we could debate. But here I see this scribe coming right to Jesus and asking him, Lord, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And I don't know if you imagine Bible scenes when you're reading. I try to do that as much as possible with my limited imagination. But I can see this scribe asking this question, and really without hesitation, I can just see Jesus just right quick just answering the question from this, this scribe. And the common question then receives a remarkable answer, and I want you to see it because Jesus himself points to what I'm calling a consuming love, a consuming love. Look down at verse number 29. The scribe has asked him in verse number 28, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, verse number 29, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord with, with thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Jesus provides an answer to the man that, that, that those that were gathered that day would have been, uh, it would have been widely known. They would have known exactly what the Lord Jesus was talking about. It would have been common knowledge to them. Many of the scribes even perhaps would have called this the Shema or that referring back to Deuteronomy chapter number six, which we even heard a message about from our pastor this past Sunday night in regards to teaching our children. And so he was pointing the hearers that day to a very common knowledge passage back in the Old Testament of Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So there is no doubt that those gathered there that day, as they heard the answers that Jesus was giving to the previous questions, and as they heard even this answer come up, a very familiar answer, because they had known it from their upbringing, but yet why was Jesus reminding them that this was the first commandment? I believe Jesus was reminding them that this was the first commandment because it was putting away the traditions of pleasing men. You see, most of the precepts had to do with the traditions and of the law, but this one was really cutting to the heart of the chase, and it was putting the, 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 the spotlight, if you will, back on the individual and the individual's actions not towards man, but towards God. You see here, it's not about tradition, it's about the heart of the man and his heart towards his God. Loving God then should be first and foremost and should be paramount and is to be the greatest commandment that anyone who would claim the name of God or claim the name of Christ should obey or should follow. Jesus was pointing to that simple fact that one must be completely and entirely consumed in their love for God and Him alone. In fact, he goes and he clarifies it in verse number 30 to love them with their entire being or to allow the love of God, their love for him to just be so permeating and so absorbing in their life that it includes their heart, their emotions. It includes their soul, their spiritual character. It includes their mind, their mental and intellectual side. It includes their strength, their physicality and the activities therewith that they use their hands to do. Hey, college students, I'm just trying to stop and just remind us this morning that the greatest of all commandments 
commandments had nothing to do with the laws or the rules or the rituals. The greatest commandment had everything to do with loving God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. They were to be consumed and be passionate and to have, be absorbed in their love for God and that every part of their life, every aspect of their life would be touched by that love for God. Therefore, the command isn't just to have loving feelings towards God. But it, rather, it's to have some action towards God in our love. We must choose to be involved in love. The command is a call to action. God is not commanding feelings, but God is commanding actions. Love, then, is seen in action and the action of giving. Most of you know the verse. I'm sure you have it memorized. John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he, what's the answer? He gave. He gave his only begotten son. Why? So that you and I might have eternal life. It was an act of love. His love was not just feelings towards humanity or towards mankind. His love was an action in which he gave of his only begotten son so that you and I could know salvation. His only son put his life on the cross so that you and I could have salvation. This act of love was a verb. It was something that we do. And my friends, I want to encourage you that you have to fall in love with Jesus, but not just with feelings with all of your being. You've got to be consumed in your love for the Lord. But this is a love that you can't do on your own. It's a love that you cannot produce on your own. But it's a love that we have exemplified through the Lord Jesus Christ as we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 19, we love Him because He first loved us. To love Him entirely, though, will cost you. It may cost you some some time. I mean, can we just be honest this morning? It may cost you having to get up a little bit early. It may cost you having to set aside some other activities that you might enjoy to spend time. It might cost you some evenings. It might cost you some, not only time, it might cost you some friends to love God. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Christian home, but I went to a public school and I had some worldly friends, even though I claimed the name of Christ. I didn't get saved until I was in Bible college my first year. I didn't know God other than just a head knowledge. I, I, I just knew about God, but I didn't know him in my heart. And I remember some of the friends that I hung around with. And then when I got saved, all of a sudden those friends were gone. But you know what? It's okay. Because the friends that I have gained because of my relationship with God have been friends that have lasted, friends that are true, friends that are there for me when I'm going through the valley, friends that are there for me to help lift me up and to help encourage me. I'm thankful for those kind of friends. But I just want to tell you, Bible college student, that you start spending time with God, you start putting your love for God at the paramount forefront of who you are, and it may cost you some friends. Hey, it might cost you, and I, I hate to say it, but it might cost you some family members. There might be some family members that walk away from you because they think all of a sudden you've joined a cult or all of a sudden you've, got, you've gotten really crazy or your thinking is all messed up. It may cost you even some friends and it might cost you some family members. Hey, loving God might cost you maybe a fortune. Some of you are smart. Some of you can make a lot of money. But choosing to love God and follow His will for your life could there be anything greater, though you may not have the biggest bank account compared to your high school friends, to know that God's blessing is upon your life is that of not greater riches? But it might cost you some financial situations. It might cost you even some freedoms. 
Oh man, I am scared to think about the kind of nation that my little boy and my little girl are gonna grow up in if we as a generation don't do something right now. Because I am starting to see even our freedoms here in America being taken away from those who claim the name of Christ. And I can't imagine what kind of nation we might see in 10 years from now if those of us who know God hide our light. And so it might cost you to love God. It might cost you some time. It might cost you some friends and family. It might cost you some finances. It might cost you some freedoms. It might even cost you your life itself. If you put God first, he might ask you to give your life for his cause. Luke chapter nine reminds us in verse number 23 and 24, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. To live a life with a consuming love relationship with God is for the Christian. The only way that you and I will ever experience the abundant life that Jesus would talk about in John chapter 15, as you abide in him and he abides in you, but you have to have that love relationship. You have to allow it to absorb every single aspect of your life. You've gotta let it consume you. You cannot, uh, you cannot uh, compartmentalize your life. You can't say, well, I'm a Bible college student during this semester, but when I'm on break, I'm something totally different different. No, you can't say I'm a Bible college student. And I love God when I'm here, but I'm not when I'm over here at work. No, you've got to be who you are at all times and in all situations because your love for God ought to consume who you are. And there ought to be a burning passion within you to show that love. You've got to be consumed. What is the greatest commandment? A common question was answered by a consuming love. But I want you to see, Bible College students, the Lord Jesus did not stop there. In fact, I don't even know if he took a breath as he was answering the scribe because perhaps the scribe heard this answer and those that were listening heard that answer and they thought, yeah, I can, I can see that, that we ought to be directed back to a love for the Lord God. We ought to be consumed in our love for him. Yeah, I can understand that. But I can almost imagine Jesus without missing a beat. He continues to answer the man's question and he shows him verse number 31, a compassionate action, a compassionate action that goes along with that consuming love in verse number 31. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. You see, to love God and then to love others as you love yourself was the action that Jesus Christ was trying to portray to those listening that day. He really cuts to the heart of the matter by placing a love for God as the starting point for then loving others. I believe it was Dr. Shetler last week was talking about bitterness and he was talking about that there can be a, a horizontal bitterness and there can be a, a vertical bitterness. Well, it's obviously true in our love that there ought to be a vertical love, your love for God, but then that love uh, that you have for God should then be shown horizontally to others as you love them, as you love yourself. Are you catching it this morning? So we should have this love for God, but we should have this love for others. John chapter 15, verse number 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. So the question is, is do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? I think you can answer that. But do you love them? Because Jesus said that these two commandments cannot be separated. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 20 says it this way, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. 
For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God in whom he hath not seen? The second greatest commandment then is simply putting the first commandment into practice. As you love God, it will be an outpouring then of your love for your Savior to then love those that He loves, which would be those around you, whether that be your classmate, whether that be your roommate, whether that be uh, someone at work, whether that be someone on the bus route, whether that be someone in your extension ministry, whether that be somebody you just meet out in West Palmdale as you're going out with your soul winning group. It does not matter who exactly the neighbor is, but if you love God, God's going to open your eyes to have a love for other people, and you're going to be concerned consumed in your love, that you're going to be just a, a burning ball of passion that wants to share the love of Christ with somebody else. And it doesn't matter who your neighbor might be at that moment. You're going to show or outpour that love on someone else because love is an action. And you're going to allow your love to pour out into that action upon other people because you love the Lord and you love whom God loves. The scribe perhaps didn't realize that his common question would lead to both a consuming love and a compassionate action. But I want you to see lastly today, it also led to a critical decision. It led to a critical decision. Look down at verse number 32. We didn't read these for the sake of time in our, our beginning reading, but look at verse number 32. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he, the man, answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst erst him any questions." I see a critical decision because the scribe had just been given an answer that he was probably not expecting as he asked, what's the greatest? What is the, the greatest commandment of all out of the 613? And Jesus cuts right to the heart of it. And he says, you've got to have a love for God and you've got to allow that to then help you to love others. And perhaps the scribe was not expecting that, but he could not argue with the answer that he was given. He could not debate what was given because it was the truth. And after rep repeating what Jesus had said to the man, which as a side note means that that man was listening intently if he could respond back and call student, I want to encourage you to have some listening skills like that when you're in the ministry to be able to listen and to be able to respond back and to show that you care and have that concern for others. The man, though, in listening intently, he agreed that above all the ceremonial sacrifices, above all the traditional offerings, that the love for God and a love for others was most important. He agreed to that. And Jesus even commended the man. As he said to him, he said that thou hast answered discreetly. That word discreetly means that the man answered with wisdom or the man answered with humility. The man answered with a sincere heart. What he was hearing, he could not argue with. And he answered discreetly saying, yes, you are correct in the sense of, yes, above the offerings and above the traditions and above all of that, what we need is a love for God. But he was still wrestling with reconciling the Jewish laws and customs to that of what Jesus was teaching. You see, the Jews had elevated their system of religion, their actions before men to be a greater determining factor to earning God's favor somehow, rather than just trusting and having a relationship with the God that they supposed to serve. Can I say this, college student? If you're not careful, you'll do the exact same thing. 
You'll, you'll raise up standards or you'll raise up uh, uh, religious practices. You'll raise up other actions that you think should be required or perhaps have been taught to you in your upbringing or whatever it might be. And you'll allow those religious actions or those systems of religious activity to be brought up to a level that before men to be the determining factor of a relationship before God. And yet that's not what Jesus is saying because you and I, like in the Jews in Jesus's day, if we uphold the traditions and the expectations higher than we uphold the love for God and his word, then we are in the wrong and we are trying to do just as that scribe was trying to do. We are trying to elevate the traditions of man rather than a love for God. If you were in the junior, senior men's class last uh, Sunday night or two Sunday nights ago, we talked about seek ye first the kingdom of God. We talked about putting God first in your priorities, putting God first in your life. And college student, if you come here and you learn discipline and you learn how to schedule your time and you learn how to do all that, but you leave without a love for God, then we have failed you. But it's not all on us. It's a personal decision. You personally have to choose to love God. Nobody can love God for you. Nobody can schedule your time for you to make you love God, but yet you're gonna step into ministry one day and you might know how to schedule things and you might have all the answers in regards to your theology. You might have it all figured out, but if you don't walk with God and love him, it's gonna be very hard for you to love people. You've got the priorities out of balance. We know that we are to love God above all else, but will we do it? It's a critical decision that must be made by you and you alone. Will you be consumed entirely with loving God and with loving others? Or will you allow religious practices to get in the way, such as this scribe and other Jews of Jesus' day were doing? Loving God then starts with knowing God. That starts with having a relationship with Him. I've been in college work long enough. I've been in ministry long enough to know, even in a setting like this, that there might be some that they profess Christ, but they don't possess Christ. I told you, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Bible college. I traveled on a singing group before I got saved because I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And there might be someone in here that you don't have that relationship with God and you can't know God in, in a love relationship if you don't know him. It's just like a husband and a wife. They can't love each other if they don't know each other. They've got to spend time together. They've got to get to know each other. They've got to date each other and learn each other so that that love can grow. And the same is true for you. You've got to be around God and you've got to spend time in God's word. You've got to allow his relationship with you to blossom and to bloom so that you can have that love for him and then that love for others. And so I ask you this question this morning, college student, which is the greatest? Which is the goat? What the greatest of all times? And I believe the answer that Jesus gave the scribe that day was the answer you and I needed to hear this morning. And that is simply the greatest of all is to put God first, to love him with all of our being, and then to love others as we love ourselves. Jesus' answer, answer was simple. Love God and love others. But the decision now is in your hands. Will you? Will you? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, what is the goat, the greatest of all time? Loving God and loving others. But it's going to be hard to love others if you don't love God. Maybe this morning you were challenged by the word of God as that scribe was challenged. And as he listened intently, he realized that's, I can't argue with that. Maybe this morning you can't argue with needing to 
have that love relationship with God as the preeminent part of your life each and every day. But I can't help but think maybe there's one or two here that maybe you've come to Bible college and, and like me, you've played games with God. This was in by no means a salvation message or to, to get someone to doubt their, their faith. But I wonder if maybe today there's one here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They don't have that personal relationship, that personal love relationship with God, and they are struggling. I want to I encourage you, you don't have to struggle anymore. But I don't know how God spoke to you this morning, but I am so encouraged that Jesus pointed us right back to the heart of the fact Loving God, loving others.